You ready? Because I am. Now, if I would rewrite this message, rewrite the title of it, because I was so creative in the titles in this series. The first, first message was Rise Up. The second message was Rise Up Part 2. The third message is Rise Up Part 3. So you know I'm not that creative. But here's, here's what I would have written if I would have had that opportunity, is that I would have wrote on a new title as The Power of Insignificance or The Word of God Spoke. Hmm. Two weeks ago, we looked at Elijah rising the widow woman from life, widow woman's son to life. What we saw in that, and at the end of that message, I asked you, what is it that you what revived or restored in your lives? Then last week, I dealt with Elijah's successor, Elisha, and how God rose up this, this uh, Shunammite woman's son to life. And, and this woman was tenacious in her faith. It was, she was not going to give in when her son died in her arms. She was not going to give into it, none whatsoever. And it taught us the power of All things are possible through Christ. This week, we're moving fast forward into the New Testament, where Jesus goes into this, well, town, and once again, he's dealing with a widow woman, her son died. Now, can I say this in the very beginning here? That I, I know that we have people in this congregation who lost children. That should never happen. And, and you online, wherever you may be, you may be here locally, or I may be speaking to you on the other side of this earth somewhere. And you're dealing with that brokenness of that death. But but you above anybody else understand exactly how these women felt. And it is you who understand is what, what God is able to do in the restoration and the sustaining work that he's done in your life. And I pray, in fact, I cherish those prayers that you would be praying now for this congregation and for that congregation listening online, that God would speak into us, that we would be able to rise up. Because sometimes what we don't see in, the, in, in our own eyes is what God is doing in the spirit as our precious Navajo lady that surrounded her with these gigantic men, you know. I was humored because she says the young men were dressed up real nice and the older guys were dressed kind of casual. I go, well, you know, usually it's the reverse. It's us older guys are dressing up and the young ones are not. But the message was God showed up. God shows up. And he wants to show up in our lives. So let's go into Luke, the seventh chapter, beginning with verse 11. I want to take a look at what happened in an insignificant town called Nahum. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nahum, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. 
And as he approached the, t- uh, the gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of a mother who um, she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. I'm going to look at this insignificant town called Nahum. Nahum means pleasant or delightful. Well, there was nothing de- uh, delightful or pleasant that was going on in this woman's life. And, and I want to say that we don't even know who she is. They never gave us a name. She was so insignificant, not even a name. They named it, gave us the town, but not the person or the name of the son. But it was not delightful yet. Nahum is about 12 miles from Capernaum. And this is the only mention in Scripture, and quite possibly the only time that Jesus was ever in this little town that we know of. But this shows us something about what God thinks about the insignificant, because God placed his son, Jesus Christ, in this town at this particular time. And and I just love how God's word coincides with the life of Jesus and what was happening here. Because, you see, in his birth announcement, it was given to some insignificant shepherd men on the side of a field, hillside. Then his birth was in a small insignificant town called Bethlehem. It wasn't in Jerusalem. And it's not that Jesus uh, was born into an elite family. He was born into a carpenter's home, an insignificant family. But I want you to hear me and hear me well is that everybody, everybody is significant in his eyes. So now you could look at that person beside you and tell them, he's talking about you. You're significant in the eyes of God. But what about us? How, what do we look at? How do we focus in on people? Do we only associate with people which we like being around? And it's easy to do that. But what about sometimes those people who kind of um, irritate you? Now, here's where I wish you know, I could be reading minds and maybe not you know, uh, is, is that we, uh, uh, we all have them in our lives. And, and a while back, I, the Lord spoke to me ab- about that very matter. And there was an individual in my life. It's, it's, I mean, they weren't a bad person or anything. They were just kind of irritating. And, and a little bit crude, and, 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 and I really don't want to talk to them much, but, but they, <laughs> they were faithful. So uh, I did. And then the Lord told me, he says, I want you to pay attention to this person. I go, why? He says, because they're about to teach you something. Mm-hmm. You see, listen, church. Don't cut anybody out of your life. For Pete's sake, he used a donkey one time to talk. So everyone that God brings across our path, don't, don't just say it's, it's a happenstance. It can be a divine appointment that God has placed that individual in your life. Listen. Because there's something 
that God wants to do through your life to teach you something. But here's something else that that I I really understand is that we live in a world that is truly broken. In in this world that is around us, uh, that we have racial issues, we we have status issues, <laughs> we we have income issues, and 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 maybe God brings this person into your life, and and it's they're not even the same religious background whatsoever, but everyone is significant in what He wants to teach you. When I was going through my physical therapy for my shoulder, I had rotator cuff surgery. One of the people that was um, the um, the therapist, the assistant therapist in my arm, my shoulder, was a Muslim. And, and one day I said to her, I said, you know, I noticed that you don't take time to pray. She says, well, I can't. I'm really busy. So when I go home, I pray five times, five prayers right in a row. I said, wow. And, and she knew I was a minister, and, and she wasn't sure how she was going to take what I was going to say. And, and then I says, well, I wish we had our Christians who were that disciplined in their prayer life as you are in yours. And all of a sudden, the door opened up where I was able to talk to her. I says, why don't you tell me what you pray, because there's a certain prayer that to pray, and I'll tell you what I pray. And she says, okay. <laughs> you, you see, God will use whoever, or maybe the conviction that I need to be praying more. But here's, here's what sometimes happens in our lives as well, is that we may look at someone else being insignificant, or we may look at ourselves, and, and we we sense that no one's really paying attention to us. We haven't really done anything great. In fact, no one's really listened to us at all. In, in, in fact, if there's anything that people say to us, it's not praise, it's criticism. And we get to the place that we begin to believe those voices are saying that we have no value, no worth within our lives. I want you to know that that comes from the very pit of hell itself. That is not you talking to yourself because you don't believe in yourself. That is the father of lies who is speaking into your life and saying you have no value. And since he is the father of lies, every word that comes out of his mouth is distorted. And God's word says that you are his crowning glory. That you are more than a, a, a conqueror. You, you are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. You go, touch me. Because the truth is that we are the children of God. So here's the thing that is kind of interesting with me is, is that the, Jesus is going into this town. As he's walking into his town with all these people that are following him, God was doing some pretty marvelous things in their life. There was great joy. They could not wait to get into Nahum and see what else God was doing. Coming out of that town was this funeral procession. It was not just, okay, they come together. There are four encounters that happened here. The first encounter is that two crowds met. 
Now, Jesus was doing some pretty outstanding work, and there was a crowd that was following him that was excited, rejoicing, and could not wait to see what God was going to do next. Coming out of that town was these the friends and his family and this poor mother was broken hearted because of the death of her son. They came together. And, and, and the thing that that was amazing is that we ourselves here this morning, we're in one of those crowds. We are walking with him into the future, into what God wants to be doing, or we're walking not with him into a cemetery of death. And it's, it's very simple because if we're not for him, we're really against him. So here's what's happening. These two crowds come together. But not only is that encounter happening, there's another encounter. Two sons are coming together. One was alive, but destined to die. The other was dead, but destined to live. We, we, we hear of God, only begotten son, Jesus Christ, only begotten, unique, one and the only kind. This was not a regular son. This was the son of the living God that was coming together to, well, meet with this insignificant dead son who was lifeless. Two sufferings met. Jesus has said that he is a man of sorrow. He understood exactly what he was going to be going through. You know that he understood it so much that when he was in the garden of uh, um, Gethsemane that he wept. And when he wept, it broke blood vessels in his forehead of the strain in which he was going through of what he was going to encounter. It was not just simply the death itself. It was that he was taking on him the sins of the world upon him. It's hard enough to deal with our own sins, but to deal with some Someone else's and someone else's and someone else's and someone else's and someone else's. It's kind of stressful. So he understood very well that what was that widow woman that was going through through the anguish of the suffering that she was experiencing. The fourth encounter was two enemies that met. Jesus faced death, the enemies, uh, the last enemy of life, and he conquered them. Here's here's the amazing thing is that they're carrying this child. Now, maybe it's a little older than than a, a child. Maybe it could have been a young man of what 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 kind of indicated. But as they're carrying him in this open coffin out of that of that city. Something happens, and what I want you to notice that takes place is far from a insignificant compassion in action. It's found in Luke, the seventh chapter, verses 13 and 14. And when the Lord saw her, his, ha- his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up, and he touched the coffin. Then those carrying it stood still. And he said, young man, not young child, young man. I say to you, get up. Wow. Can you imagine now in this town, this funeral procession is going out. It would not be uncommon for other people to join the funeral procession. 
because in a small, insignificant town, everybody knows each other. But what would be different, odd, peculiar, is a stranger coming in and stopping this possession. Now, maybe he was showing the respect. I know that when I'm driving and there's a, a funeral procession of cars coming in opposite direction, I pull to the side of the road and I stop out of respect for that family. Now, not everyone does that. I encourage you to do that, that you even may not have a clue who they are. They are part of humanity. And there is a family that is suffering. Show respect, kindness, compassion. Move to the side of the road. Breathe a word of prayer over that family. God's comfort, God's love, God's strength into their lives. But Jesus just doesn't just stop it. He, is, he goes on even a little bit more. You see, it's, it's tough. This, when, he, when he stopped and, and, he, and he said to this woman, not to cry, she could have looked at it and said, you've got to be kidding me. It's not your son. The last time that, that one of the fears that I had of a child, it's difficult. It's challenging. The emotions of everyone is on edge. The atmosphere is filled with brokenness. Our minds are filled with the questions, why? Now what? Because their future looks so very dark. In that particular case, this child was only a few years old. And that family, that precious couple that was sitting right down front here to my right, that they could be wondering, I'm not going to see my child graduate from kindergarten. I never understood they, that stuff, the captain gowns and kindergarten. I, I never got that, but they do it. It's a big deal. Then they graduate from elementary to junior high, then junior high to high school, then out of high school, and on it goes. Won't ever experience a child having his first job or, or the marriage or first grandchildren. All that was taken away. And, and, and at that funeral, I learned something. When God spoke into me something that that almost one of those moments you go, <sighs> one second, a microsecond, a whole story unfolded in my mind. And the Lord spoke in my heart and says, when do you think the fullness of life stops at death? Do you think that this child is only going to experience everything that is intended, the fullness of that child's life, only here on earth? And he reminded me, he says, I have so many things planned for this child that would blow your mind. You have no clue. It's beyond your greatest imaginations what this child is going to be experiencing. Because I guarantee you, what he is experiencing in the glories of heaven compares, well, nothing on earth can compare to it. But the problem is, it's we who is left behind. We have to deal with the sorrow and the brokenness of it as this widow woman. 
And when Jesus saw this overwhelming emotion of this woman, his heart went out to her, the compassion in which he felt for her. We see that it's something that she was going through that moved her deeply. Sometimes we would we we would think that well, if when Jesus don't cry, she could have easily taken it as uncompassionate, but she saw something else within his eyes that that compassion and. And I know we mean well when we're dealing with sorrow of this magnitude. Sometimes we want people to get over it because we're more comfortable with them getting over it. So we say it's going to be okay when it's not going to be okay. So what we do is much better is that we grieve with them. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. Is there anything that I could do for you? Ah, most likely they'll say no because they don't even know what to do for themselves at that moment. But what we do do is that we sit with them. We grieve with them. We comfort them with our presence because that's how he works through each other and being together that we are not alone. It's something that... that I uh, I find interesting is that when he says that don't cry, he really understood what Psalms 34, 18 says, is that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He understands your brokenness. He is there to comfort you. In fact, during the time with Martha and Mary, the shortest verse in the Bible is there. Jesus wept. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, yet he wept. He wasn't weeping because of, of what he was going to do and, the, and that Mary Martha wasn't getting that, that he was a resurrection and a life. He was weeping over the brokenness of those precious ladies who he was their friends with. And when we weep with someone, when we mourn with someone, they could sense that comfort that they are not alone. He understands that within our lives. She saw something in him. That he is the great I am. Several decades ago, there was this old man. That it was a cold winter day. It was so cold that his beard was starting to freeze. The frost on it was freezing over. And he wanted to get on the other side of the river, and he couldn't. So there would come down the road where these horsemen, and they were running, coming by him. He looked. One went by. He didn't say anything. Another one went by. He didn't say anything. The third one went by, and this whole brigade of horsemen went by until the very last one. He saw this man coming by, and he looked at him, and he said, Sir, can you... Help me to get across this river. And the man stopped. He said, sure. He was going to help, have this guy hop up on the horse with him, but he really couldn't get up because of his old frail body and the devastation of the condition of the weather around him prevented that. So he got off of his horse. He helped this old man up. He got on the horse. They went across the river. 
And then not only did he just let him off, he took him several miles to his destination as he helped his old man off of that horse. He said, sir, I have a question for you. There are a multitude of riders that went by you and you didn't ask one thing. Not one of them you asked to help you to get across. You waited till the very last man, which was slim picking, because if I were to refuse, you had no way to get across to that river. Why did you ask? That old man looked at that man. He said, sir, I've been around the block for a while. I know the character of people. And when I, everyone who went by me was not even looking at me. They didn't care none whatsoever about my condition, my age, and that I needed to get across that river. Until it came to you, you looked at me and I saw the kindness in your eyes and I asked. That writer, he, he says, sir, you have changed my life. I will never again move so quickly that I don't pay attention to anybody around me and their needs. And then Thomas Jefferson got back on his horse and made his way back to the White House. See, I believe that she saw when he said, don't cry, he saw, she saw the compassion that was in his eyes, the kindness. My staff knows so very well that I have told a multitude of times, walk through a crowd slowly. Because you see, we as a pastoral staff, you're not here to serve us. We're here to serve you. I know there are a multitude of things to do before a service starts. Now, that's what I've been told, because I don't do any of it. The only thing I do is I pray a whole lot. But there's all types of technical stuff and things to set up and get ready, the lights on, sound checks, everything else that we do. But I remind them, we are here to wash your feet. We are here to serve you. So when we're getting going from point A to point B, someone may have something to say to us, or they just want to be acknowledged because maybe they've been home alone all week. No one has talked to them. Their life feels pretty insignificant. And when you, as an individual of this congregation or as my staff, when we stop and say, how are you? It's great to see you. What we just did is that we put value into their lives. Even though that this woman was so insignificant, we don't even know her name. They gave us the name of the little town before they gave us her name. We didn't even know the name of her son whatsoever. And so, yet, Jesus stopped. And he took notice. Let's go to verses 15 through 17. The dead, when he says, get up, the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. 
They were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet um, has uh, appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. The news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Wow, what an interaction. The King James doesn't use the word awe, it uses fear. And that fear is not afraid fear. That fear is that reverence that they had for him. <laughs> One thing uh, is, is that I, I would have loved to have a moment to chat with that young boy. Because when I wouldn't say, what did you say? You know, surprise. You know, good morning. I'm hungry. I don't know. Whatever it may have been. But I think that the boy talked and the mother was speechless. That's for sure. And the beauty of this is that this resurrection of this child was much different than the previous resurrections of Elijah and Elisha. You see, Elijah and Elisha, they, they, they had this, this well, well, Elisha sent a servant to put a, a staff on the dead child, thinking that will work. Elijah, he prayed over, laid on the child, so Elijah thought that was probably a good idea after he prayed for a while. See, Luke 1, verse 67 says, Praise to be to the, um, the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. John, John the Baptist at this time was in prison. He got word of something going on out there. He sent a messenger to go find out what was happening. He has already declared that Jesus is the Son of God, the Lamb of God. And here's, here's the situation that he's waiting for a report to come back, and here's what is given back to him in Luke, the seventh chapter, verse 22. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. And here's, here's what it gets really exciting. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who had leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. I'm telling you, church, when I read that, I get excited within me because I know what those miracles are. I've seen that happen. I've seen in a church in Indianapolis, there was, there was a woman in a wheelchair sitting right over there. God moved in her life, and all of a sudden, she was out of that wheelchair, not walking, but running back and forth. Everyone just stood in absolute awe of what they've seen. I've heard what God has done in my life. When I was born, the doctor told my mother, get your, phys get your priest or whoever, because your son is not going to live till the next day. I'm alive today. When I was around 10 years old, I was hit by a car. My whole right side was shattered. Spent six weeks in a hospital, laying flat sometimes. How do you keep a 10-year-old laying flat? Yeah. The doctors told my mother that I would walk with a limp for the rest of my life. 
You see, they understood medicine, but they did not understand God. They would have been astounded if they would have realized that it's just a few years later that that boy that laid in with a total fractured hip and crushed, that I would be running in the Junior Olympics. God is absolutely amazing. And as much as I'm so excited about the miracles, and I love the miracles, what I really like, maybe it's the preacher in me, but it's the word of God that is alive when they said, and the good news is preached. I want you to know something, church. It is that word of God that is so powerful. When I watch that that movie, I cannot wait, Pastor James, for that video news, that men's gathering we come together. That I wanted to grab a sword or something, but I have a sword. It's the word of God, and it rightly divides the word. And I'm telling you something, church, is that this word is powerful. And when I need a miracle, I read this word. I read it out loud, and knowing that he'll never leave me and never forsake me. Is that for that Navajo woman? God was right there. She had these people in her house who did not belong in their house. And God says, I'll take care of business. And they were gone. And these gigantic men were standing around her, speaking in Hebrew or something, except she heard one word, shalom, peace. God is able to give you that peace through that word of God, that what I get out of what God is speaking to us in this resurrection of this, of this message this day is that God's word, God speaks. And if you want to hear it, open that word of God. Read it out loud. Let those around you know what you're reading. Let Satan, who's trying to invade your life, hear that word of God being declared because he will not be able to handle it. He could not stand it because it is a decoration of life and death. And God will speak life in your very being. Listen to this song as Sasha comes and sing. The word of God speak. I'm finding myself at a loss for words and the funny thing is it's okay the last thing I need is to be heard but to hear what you won't say what of God speak would you pull down like Washing my eyes to see your majesty. Just be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God, speak.
It's okay. It's okay when you stand with me, church. I want you to know he's the same yesterday and today and forever. As we heard about these stories about what God has done in the life of Elisha and Elijah and the life of Jesus and this poor widow woman. And then Jesus speaks into that coffin and he says, young man, sit up. And he sat up. You know, we read about when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was in that fiery furnace. And all of a sudden, there was one son of God. We read about stories of how God showed up in so many different places that were so astounding. And then I hear a story of someone's home being broken into. And some drunk men are standing in that house. And God shows up. And he brings a few friends of his. These giant Navajo warriors. Family of God. You are not insignificant. And this word of God still speaks loud and clear so I say be careful what you're listening to be more focused of what you are reading allow that word of God to speak into your life telling you that you are significant that you are more than a conqueror that you are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus that you are his when I hear that, those voices start fading away. I want you to know, in this past year and a half, I've questioned myself a few times. 
And then I get into the word. And I hear that word of God speak. And I'm able to stand on that firm foundation. Because his word says the ground on which we walk on will be taken. I stand on that and saying, Lord, this ground is holy because you are here. You are significant, my friend. Don't listen to those lies being said. Don't self-destruct because you've made mistakes. Who hasn't? He can overcome those things. In fact, he could bring back that was once dead. 